All right. Good morning, all. Oh, it's a good day. It's a good day. Um, definitely been looking forward to this day in particular for, for quite a while. Um, and there's several reasons why that is the case. Um, I cannot stand summer in North Carolina. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm glad. I, to me, it, you know, I know technically it's not fall. But to me, this kind of marks the beginning of fall. You know, we're past Labor Day. Kids are back at school, that kind of thing. And I'm just so happy that we're not having to deal 90-degree days anymore, at least not for several months to come. Because all summer is for me is three straight months of sweating. Like, that's all it is. I'm sorry. I'm just hot-natured, and I sweat a lot. And I mean, for three months, all I do is sweat all day and all night, and, and I've, I've tried different things to help with my, my sweating issue. Like every day, I, get, I go to the mirror, you know, and it's me. I look at myself in the mirror. I say, all right, man, me and you today, stop sweating. <laughs> and, and it doesn't help. It doesn't work. But anyway, maybe one day I'll figure that out. And it's nice to have those days, those hot days behind us. Like how great was the weather yesterday uh, for just in general. But, you know, those of us that were there with the Crate Myrtle Festival, it was beautiful. It's like 80 degrees. And now, now how I got sunburnt, I don't know. I'm looking like a raccoon today because of my sunglasses. But anyway, that's cool. I'll take a little bit of, of that. But it was just the weather was just phenomenal. Uh, not only am I excited for this weekend because the weather's better, Folks, NFL. The NFL has started up Thursday, today. You want to know what my happy place is? My happy place is my couch Sunday afternoon during the NFL season, flipping back and forth between AFC and NFC games. That is my happy place. That is straight up holy ground. That is my, that's my safe zone. That's my straight up safe zone. My couch on Sundays afternoons. So I, I'm just all about this time of the year. But uh, it's not just that. Um, if you've been with Anthem Church for a while, you know what we've had to go through starting last July through this July and, and all this stuff. And uh, for a church, the summer is always like a weird, difficult time. So I've been looking forward to Let's get past Labor Day. Let's get to a, a new season in the church. So it's a lot of stuff going on. Crate Myrtle's a big deal. Fall's here. Cooler weather. NFL new season, but that's actually not why I've been so excited about this particular Sunday. And the reason why is, quite frankly, because of the sermon series that we're starting today. And what we're going to do today through the next uh, seven weeks is we're taking a very good, hard, long look at what it means to live in peace. What does it mean to live in peace? So I'm going to try More than normal, I try to be honest and transparent whenever I preach because I think that's good and right and I got nothing to hide. Uh, But I'm going to be particularly honest and transparent. I know I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian a long time. I'm a pastor. I've got a seminary degree, blah, 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 blah. I struggle with peace. I struggle to live in, in peace. What does that mean? How do I acquire it? How do I live it out? How do I keep it? How, how did I, I keep it from going away? So I struggle with living in peace. Giving someone a piece of my mind, that's easy. <laughs> Giving someone a piece of my mind is really easy. Now, keeping peace of mind, not so easy. Not so easy. I have moments of peace where it seems like I kind of sort of have it. But, I mean, that, that moment kind of comes and goes and it's fleeting and vanishes. And it's like, where did it go? I, I didn't get to linger in that peace nearly as much as I would have liked to. And sometimes it does seem as if capturing peace, what would be easier would be capturing a unicorn. Like it seems like it's just more realistic to grab a mythical character that doesn't exist than it is this peace that we sing about and we talk about and the Bible tells us about and all this stuff. The reality is that I pretty much live 24-7 very uncomfortable in my own skin. I rarely feel even normal or comfortable in my skin. There's not enough hours in a day. There's not enough days in a week for me to do what I'm supposed to do, or at least what I think I'm supposed to do. So there's all of those pressures. Then add to that, at my house, I got four little ones, eight, six, four, and two. It's straight up loud. It's straight loudness at my house. And if you, if you know my second, Ellie, she wakes up at 11. She's dialed in at 11 all day. She's up there. 
and then she goes to bed and just to recover, and then she's at it again. I love her, but man, my house is loud, and there's like, I, I need some quiet from time to time. Quiet is good. So I, anyway, how am I supposed to do that? So you throw on top of that, I'm a pastor. All right, no, I'm not, I can't describe the unique stresses and pressures of being a pastor. I've been in the secular workload, uh, uh, work world. I've, I've been in sales, inside sales, outside sales. I've worked in a factory. I know what people, I know what you go through. Like I did that for many, many years. I get it. And I'm not saying it's worse or more. I'm just saying it's really weird and unique and distinct. The, the, the pressures of being in the ministry vocationally full-time 24-7. Add to that the fact that I'm not just a pastor. I happen to be a church planter, and there is a unique pressure and stress that comes out of that. How do you take a few families and, and with God's help, build a church that can actually impact the community? I mean, that's, that's next-level stress and pressure and all of that. Add on top of that, my weird oddities and personality quirks. There are a few, at least that I'm aware of. Add to that my emotional volatility. Add to that my own insecurity, which I deal with. Add to that the fact that from at least July of 2016 through July of 2017 were the most difficult 12 months of ministry that I've ever had by far. And I'm just here to tell you, I'm just being honest. I struggle. I struggle to have peace. And I find peace to be very elusive and very fleeting. Now, your circumstances may be very different. I'm sure that they are. But let me ask you, do you struggle to live in peace? So for some people, it might be financial, right? Because financial stuff, that gets us worked up. So if we have a financial difficulty in our life, is that kind of robbing your ability to live in peace? Or for some, it might be a health issue. You're dealing with a health problem, chronic pain, whatever it may be. Is that health issue, or maybe the health issue of a loved one, is that eroding your capacity to live in peace? Or maybe it's a relationship, uh, 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 your, your family life, your uh, spouse, children, that relationship, it, man, it, it's tough. Or there's a coworker, a neighbor, something. There's it's something tough, and that's getting in the way of you actually being able to live with peace. Do you find peace to be elusive, and do you find it to be fleeting? And if you do, this sermon series is for for you. So I want to put a few things out there just to kind of get started to get going. Uh, the first thing is as we get into this series. This is not going to be a five steps to greater peace in your life type of series. Because, first, it don't work that way. That's not how it, that's not how it works. There's no magic pill that you take that you start living in peace. It doesn't work that way. It's not like figuring out the video game cheat codes. For those of you who know what I'm talking about, you don't figure that out. It's not like a secret sauce that you put on something and all of a sudden you're living in peace. It doesn't work that way. What, what, the way it works is that it's about adopting and embracing a brand new lifestyle. There are things in our life that get in the way of us being able to live in, with peace, in peace. There's bad habits, sinful habits, sinful lifestyle that gets in the way of us being able to live with a greater sense of peace in our lives. Now, here's the fact. I am you are, we all are, dare I say, sinners with some jacked up habits and some really messed up thinking and a poor disposition and all kinds of stuff up in there. All of us. This is true, right? All of us. And that stuff is what gets in the way of us experiencing peace. So we got to jettison, we got to unearth that stuff. And guess what? Some of it, you know what it is. Some of it you don't. And sometimes that's the hardest part is figuring out what it is that you don't know so you can get rid of it, jettison it, and replace it with that habit that actually helps to foster peace in your heart. So that's the first thing I want to say. So it's not a, I'm going to do five things and all of a sudden, voila. It's not that kind of series. And the other thing I want to mention is that today I'm actually doing something different than we normally do. So if you're new here, first time here, whatever, usually what we do, you know, we open up the Bible to a passage, a scripture, a story, something, and we walk our way down the text. 
which is the way we do it. I think it's the right way to do it. Today, what I'm doing is I'm just setting up what is the series. So we're going to actually reference some scripture, but I want to more just kind of lay the foundation to get us all on the same page. So we're moving forward and building upon each week so that we can live with a greater sense of peace in our lives. So is that fair? All right, I'm going to do something else today that I normally don't typically do. We're going to have points. I'm going old school preaching. We're going to have points today. So here's point number one. We're going to get started foundational truth number one it's almost as if i should have had a sound effect for that one foundational truth clink number one here you go it's up on the on the screen i think all right pray peace is a gift from god peace is a gift from god so john 14 verse 27 says this Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Okay, this is the kind of verse that if you really believe it is a game changer. This is the kind of verse that if you trust what Jesus says here, should completely flip your life upside down. This is the kind of verse that you should put on your Facebook feed, the kind you should have on an index card sitting on your, on your dash. This is the kind you should help your children know, memorize, and live out. Where Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, right? So peace is a gift from God, I, I love what Jesus is telling us here. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. You don't need to live off of antacids because you're so stressed out. You can actually get a good night's sleep because of what Jesus offers. You can get a good night's sleep. That's wonderful, wonderful news for us. He offers this peace, and it's not just any peace. It's his peace, right? My peace I give to you. So check this out. Here's Jesus, innocent, never did anything wrong, never hurt anyone, never harmed anyone. All he ever did was good. People decide they didn't care for him or what he taught or what he did. So evil individuals grabbed him, took him by force. In the middle of the night, took him to an illegal trial in the middle of the night where they had to like, tr like, like stack the decks, get false accusers, false witnesses to give a, uh, a, a testimony. And then they rendered a verdict, guilty. He wasn't guilty. Then after that, they give him over to Roman officials where the Roman officials then strip him naked, beat him flog him, whip him, scourge him, then murder him, execute him by nailing him to a cross. Horrifying. And every step of the way, Jesus endured it with peace. With peace. And Jesus saying, my peace I give to you the same peace that walked with Jesus in Jesus through all of that. He says, I give to you. What do you think of that? What do you think of that? The same peace I give you. I give you my peace. So it, does, it gets even better than that because not only does Jesus offer us his peace, he does it in a way completely different than how the world gives us anything, right? He says, because in that verse, he says, not as the world gives. So he gives in a totally different way. Have you ever noticed that whenever the world gives you something, which is rare, right? Because the world more takes and gives. But whenever the world, if it does happen to give you anything, whatever it gives you, it gives it to you kind of reluctantly or sparsely, begrudgingly, right? That's how the world gives. How does Jesus give? Abundantly is how Scripture tells us that he gives. He doesn't give just barely enough to get by. No, it's overflowing giving. It is generosity beyond generosity. It is a pouring out. There is just a profuse giving when Jesus gives. Well, another thing about how the world gives, the world always gives with strings attached, doesn't it? Always conditions. How does Jesus give? Freely. 
freely, graciously, with mercy, for the sake of compassion, lovingly. That's how Jesus gives, or he definitely gives different than how the world gives. When it comes to peace, what kind of peace does the world give? False. It's false peace. It's a mirage, an illusion at very best. I mean, what can the world actually give to you that would calm your soul? I mean, think about it. What can the world actually do to bring true peace to your soul? When has the world ever said to you, hey, here's what you need to be spiritually healthy. Here's what you need to be emotionally stable. Here's what you need to be psychologically sound. Here's what you need. And you can have as much of it as you want, as much as you need, and it's free. When has the world ever said that to any of us? Never. And that's what makes the offer from Jesus so remarkable. He gives true peace, the kind that can actually help you. He gives real peace, the kind of peace that can lift you, the kind of peace that can carry you and sustain you through life's worst hardships and do so with joy. That's what Jesus offers. This is what Jesus is willing to give abundantly, and he gives it freely. It's a what? It's a gift. My peace I give to you. Sound good? Sounds real good. All right. Brings us to a question, though. If Jesus gives peace so abundantly, and that peace is so good and transformative, and that peace is abundant and it's free, why do I struggle to live in it? Why is it so stinking, fleeting, and evasive? Oh, confession. I feel like my peace or sense of peace is at the mercy of which side of the bed I wake up on. I, 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 the reality is that my, my sense of peace is pretty much at the mercy of just how my day goes. Where my children well behaved. Did a bill come in? Did we have a hailstorm? Like, and so I would add, like, surely, and sorry, excuse me for calling you Shirley, but surely the peace of God isn't that fickle. Right? Surely the peace that Jesus gives so abundantly and freely and generously and is so wonderful and transformative, surely that peace isn't so feeble that something as random as which side of the bed I wake up on somehow causes it to diminish. It can't be that weak and feeble and fickle. So what's the deal? Why do I struggle with it? Why do you struggle with it? And I think it's at least in part because we just don't have a right understanding of what it is that Jesus is offering to each and every one of us. And that, that does bring us to foundational truth number two. Peace must be lived in. Peace must be lived in. Peace, now I'm going to probably lose some of you right here. So I want you to follow, like listen very carefully. Peace is not something that we're supposed to live with. It is something to be lived in. I'm going to try to explain this. Psalm chapter 4, verse 8 says this. In peace, not with peace, but in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So the author, the writer of this psalm, he's going through what you would consider a next level crisis in his life. He's under persecution. There's people that are trying to kill him. And he says that despite being surrounded basically by an army of people that just want to kill him, I sleep good at night. I get a good night's rest. Really? That's, that's just an amazing thing. And the reason why is because he lives in peace. Not because he's with peace, but because he's in peace. And there's a profound difference between living with peace versus living in peace. To live with peace implies that somehow I possess it, right? That somehow I, I have a little bit of it that's always just with me. 
right? That somehow I've captured a portion of peace and, and I walk around with it. And I, it's just on my hip pocket there anytime that I need it, right? It's with me. It's with me. But the peace of God is not something that we just carry around with us and that we reach into our spiritual tool bag whenever we need it to pull out and say, yay, I've got peace. It's not like that. That's not how it works. What God offers us is way bigger, better, and greater than that. What God offers to us, he invites us to live in peace for his peace to be our habitat. He wants his peace to be your home, your atmosphere, your spiritual ecosystem. He wants, he invites you for his peace Basically, to be the context in which you live so that everything you do, you're doing it in peace because you live in the peace of God. Now, that's still a little abstract for some of you, right? You're following, so you're doing a good job. You're listening, but some of you, I can tell, you're a little like, what in the world are you talking about? So let me ask this question to try to help. Would you rather live with a house or in a house? All right. Ah, now you see what I'm talking about, right? You see the difference. I don't even know what living with a house is. Like, I'd rather live in a house. There's a roof that's going to keep hail off of my head. There's walls that's going to keep foxes and wolves and bears and tigers from coming in. There's a bed where I can lay down comfortably at night. I dwell in in the house. This is what God is inviting us to, to dwell in safety, to dwell in him, to dwell in peace, for it to be our new address, our new house, our new home, our dwelling place. See, if, if we live in peace, no matter what hardships come our way, we're always in peace. They hit hard and they hit often, and arrows come our way, but if we live in peace, there's always the protection, the spiritual protection from God upon us. So many of us, here's why we struggle in peace, and I'm figuring this out, folks, literally day by day, week by week as we go through this. Many of us are, are trying to live with peace as opposed to live in peace. And that ultimately is what's getting in the way of many of us. We're trying to possess it and own it and grab it, but you can't grab peace. Try grabbing air. Can you do it? See, grabbing peace is like trying to grab air. You just can't. You can't do it. can't do it that way. So if you want to enjoy enduring peace in your life, you have to learn. You have to learn how to live in peace rather than living with peace. So I'm going to further illustrate that. Some of you are getting there. This will push the rest of you over, over the edge. So when I was young, I loved going to the beach. I loved it when the, the parental units would take us to, to the beach. And what I would do, as soon as we'd get there, I would spend all day in the water. I don't, I don't like sand. I like water. So I would spend all day, and I loved it. And what do you do when you're young? You grab a boogie board, and what do you do? You catch some waves, right? You body surf. You, you, you surf out there. You just catch wave after wave. It's, it was a blast. You guys, some of you remember. Right? It's fun. Now, it is funny how it changes over the course of life. Because back before, what was fun ain't so much fun anymore. Because now, going to the beach means taking four little ones to the beach. And that ain't fun. That's Navy SEAL training. So that's something entirely different. So, but what is fun now is to watch them do and have fun doing what it was that I used to do and have fun, right? To see them grab a boogie board and go into water and get in the surf and catch a wave. But if you think about it, that phrase, catch a wave, is really a misnomer. You don't catch a wave. What does the wave do? It actually catches you. That's how it works. You try catching a wave, <laughs> you're going to get knocked down, so it's going to keep going, right? You're, nothing's going to happen. What happens when you're surfing or body surfing, boogie boarding, the wave catches you. Folks, that's what it means to live in the peace of God. It's like riding a wave. You have to let the peace of God catch you and carry you where it is supposed to take you and learning how to live that way. So how do we do that? So that brings us to number three. Foundational truth number three. 
Peace must be pursued. Psalm 34, verse 14 says this, Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and what? Pursue it. Pursue it. So peace, this peace that we all want, doesn't just happen. You have to seek it. It has to be sought after. All right, so let's go back to the beach. Now that summer's over, right? Let's go back to the beach illustration. You decide that you want to ride a wave. You want to catch a wave. But you stay seated in your seat under the umbrella. How many waves are you riding? I mean, unless a tsunami comes in. (laughs) Apart from that, you're not riding anything, right? You're not catching anything. You're just going to sit there. So it's the same way when it comes to trying to be caught by the peace of God. You have to get out in the surf and put yourself in a position where now the peace of God can grab you and move you along. Did that help? You see what I'm saying? You got to put yourself in position out there. You have to pursue it. So the way that we pursue the peace that God offers is through repentance. It's through a lifestyle of repentance. So back to that Psalm 34 text where we just were. One verse before, verse 13 and 14. says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. There can be no peace of mind, no peace of Hearts, no peace of soul if we have given ourselves over to habitual sin. It's incongruent. It is completely incompatible, not in keeping with anything. Like, I want God's peace, but I'm going to live completely contrary to how God would have me to live. That's incongruent. It's not in keeping with one another. So it can't happen. It is not possible to enjoy the peace that Jesus offers if I'm just going to be willy-nilly, freely giving myself over to sin or to a sinful lifestyle. And we all do this. It's just a little white lie. A little white lie never hurt anybody. I mean, I mean, I'm really doing it for the greater good, so we justify it, right? We have good reasons for little white lies here and there. and It's not a big deal. But it's giving ourselves over to lying is okay. Or, you know what, it's just a little bit of a cheating on my taxes. It's my money anyway, and the government's got enough, and they're just going to misplace it and misuse it. So I'm just going to cheat a little bit, keep of it for myself. I know Jesus said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but nonetheless, you know, it's all good. It's all justified. Oh, it's just a little gossip. Just a little gossip. It's okay so long as I say bless their heart and pray for them. Then therefore, that's okay. It's completely okay so long as they don't find out. So, but it's justified. It's just a little gossip. It's just a little lust. It's just a little lust. It's victimless. I mean, who does it hurt? It's not like I'm addicted to pornography. It's not like I'm sleeping around. You know, so I let my mind wander and go there a few times every once in a while here. It's just a little distraction. It's not a big deal. Oh, I'm not being self-centered. Well, maybe I am, but it's all right. I mean, someone's got to look out for number one. I mean, if I don't look out for myself, who's going to look out for me? So self-centeredness, is, it's okay. A little bit's okay. You see what I'm saying? This struck, this struck home with some of you, I know. Like, and you, I mean, you could just go down the line. Like, we justify these things, and we let them own us. We think we could control it, but it can't, right? It ultimately controls us. We give ourselves over to it. Now, we give ourselves over to those kinds of things which are in violation to what it is that God would have us to do or how he wants us to live. And then we ask, well, where's the peace? Well, it's incongruent. Like, if we give ourselves over to it, we shouldn't expect anything better or different. And the reason that sin utterly train wrecks our ability to live in peace The reason why is because we have a soul, S-O-U-L. Or better yet, more biblically, we are a soul. Back in the book of Genesis, in chapter 2, it tells us uh, how God created the first human being, the first man. 
And it's a, a remarkable story. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, The Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the word creature there in the original Hebrew that it was written in is the word soul. So the man became a living soul. Became a living soul. And I, I just love the story because this the image that here comes God and he kind of figuratively, right? He rolls up his sleeves and he sticks his hands in the dirt, right? God gets his hands dirty and he molds and fashions this individual, this first human. And he picks up the form and he brings it up to his mouth and he breathes life into the man. And the man wakes up and becomes a living soul. Like, just imagine that the first thing you ever see in your life is God. Like, that, that is like the best right there. So I love that story. Well, if you were to go back in Genesis chapter 1, it says that God made all the animals, right? All the fish and the birds and the cattle and blah, blah, blah. Made all of that. Never once does it say of any of them that they are a living soul. See, soul, being a, a, a soul creature, is uniquely human. Even the angels do not have one. Of every creature in heaven on earth, the only ones that have a soul or are a soul are humans. It's us. We are distinctly unique because of that. It's at the very core of who we are. It's at the very heart of our purpose that we are a living soul. Our soul was made by God for God and always exists before God. The fact that we are a soul is the very reason why we can have a personal, loving relationship with the God of the universe. That's the reason why. It's a unique relationship in which we get to not simply declare the glory of God like the heavens do or partake of the glory in the sense that angels do because they're in heaven. No, we're unique. The fact that we have a soul means that we get to share in the glory of God. We alone, those who are followers of Jesus, we alone are inheritors of the glory of God. That's what it means that we have a soul. We're it's attached to the fact that we're made in the image and in the likeness of God, which means that as soul bearers, image bearers, soul creatures, we were created for godliness and holiness and righteousness. Therefore, sin is incompatible with who we are. It's incongruent. It's divergent. One more synonyms. I did go to thesaurus.com this week. It's just not in keeping. Sin is a distortion and a marring. It wrecks our soul. It pollutes our soul. So it's not possible for our soul to enjoy peace if we give ourselves over to a sinful lifestyle. That's the bad news. We always got to go to good news, right? Good news. You do not have to be perfectly sinless in order to begin to live in peace. Despite all your moral shortcomings and your spiritual failures and the sin and the bad and the wrong, despite all of that, it is completely possible for you to live in peace, to enjoy that enduring peace that Jesus so willingly offers to all of us. And the way that we do so is through repentance. So back to Psalm 34, verse 14. Turn away from evil and do good. So to repent, it means to turn from but it's not just turning from, it's turning to. So we turn from sin, from that stuff, and we turn to God and to his ways. Repentance is ultimately seeing sin for the bad that it is and actually recognizing, you know what? It never turns out well when I give myself over to this stuff. It actually only hurts and harms. It never brings any degree of satisfaction whatsoever. It only destroys and makes things worse. It's getting to that point. It's getting to the point where you don't denounce Denounce it. I no longer want this to characterize my soul. And therefore, I'm going to give my life to that which is better. I'm going to give my life fully and completely to the God who loves me. It's coming to that conviction where all the pleasure and delight 
that we want is found in God. I mean, I want you all to know that we were created to want everything. It's just that everything is found in Jesus. Everything is found in Christ. Like, that's ultimately repentance. I'm not going to settle for the muck. I'm going to give myself fully to that which truly brings delight and pleasure and satisfaction to my soul. And so it is in that repentance, that is how we pursue the peace. Turn away from evil. Seek good and seek peace is what the verse tells us. So earlier we looked at Psalm chapter 4 verse 8. That psalm was written by King David. And in that verse again, he says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I want you to know that David, he lived in peace, but it was not because he was sinless. He was far, far from sinless. David was a murderer and an adulterer, and in my opinion, a rapist. Because when he took Bathsheba into his chamber, at the very least, that was date rape, which is rape. There's no way she's saying no to the king in that situation. And you know that scripture, God himself refers to David as a man after his own heart. David is the one who wrote Psalm chapter 4, verse 8, and he says, In peace I lie down because God makes me dwell in safety. Why? Because he was quick to repent. He would confess his shortcomings to God. He would then lean upon God's love and grace, mercy, and compassion. And he would turn from that and turn to that which is better. He had a posture of repentance, humble repentance before God. Our soul desperately craves peace, doesn't it? Our soul desperately craves it. And part of the reason why it craves it so much is that it's under constant distress of just sinful, sinfulness, sinful attitude, behavior, beliefs, and all of that. We all struggle with this, but we can live in the peace that Jesus offers so much as so we would humble ourselves and turn from that stuff, repent, and give ourselves over to God. The good news there is that grace is available. No matter what we've done, grace is available, and that leads us to our final and fourth point. Foundational The foundational truth number four, peace comes through grace. So Romans chapter one, verse seven says this, grace to you and peace from from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Peter chapter one, verse two says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of of Jesus, our Lord. So here's the thing. Most of the books of the New Testament begin with a very similar greeting where the author wishes grace and peace upon the reader. And they're always in that order. Grace always comes before peace every, every time. And that's not coincidental and that's not random That is theologically profound. That is a a deep truth that God's grace always, always, always precedes peace. God's grace always comes first. Always. See, the thing is, it's not possible for us to live in peace until one thing happens first. Until we're at peace with God. You cannot be, can't live in peace until you're at peace with God. So the Bible tells us this that we're born on the wrong side of a war. We're born enemies of God, at enmity with God, hostile toward God, agile and hostile toward God in every way. We're born sinners. It's just, it's just the truth. We're born with a sinful disposition, we're, we're, with, a, with a hostile intention. So we ignore God. We neglect God. We, we say, you know what? You do your thing. I'll do my thing. You do you. I'll do me. We'll just leave each other alone. That's, that's typically how we live in this world. We, we say, oh, I know the Ten Commandments said this, and Jesus said this, but you know what? That's not for me. That's for someone else. What, we, we mock God through our negligence of his word, right? We, we do this. We'd rather worship the things of the world than the one who created the world. This is just who we are. It's what we do. We're contentious, obstinate, stubborn, stiff-necked cusses. It's just 
how it is. Here's the thing. We can switch sides. It don't have to be that way. You can go from, and I mean, this is, this is where the grace of God just piles in. You can go, he'll switch your sides. He'll switch your jersey. Go from an enemy of God at war with God to someone who's transformed by the grace of God into someone who's at peace with God. No matter what you've done, no matter how bad it may be, and maybe it's really bad, or how much of it there is, no matter how much, you cannot outsend the love and the grace and the mercy of God. It is not possible to do so, for it is that stout and that profound. He makes it possible to switch teams. And if there is any doubt, you got to consider that God is the God of grace. He's the God of all grace. That's how it's possible. And if there's any doubt about that, you just simply need to look to Jesus and look to the cross and look to the empty grave. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son into this world to give his life that we may receive life. That's love. It delighted the father to crush the son upon the cross for our good. That's love. That's grace. That Jesus willingly, lovingly went to a cross where he said, yes, give me your sin, give me your guilt, give me your shame, give me all of that. Place it upon my shoulders and I will bear the judgment. I will pay the price for every bit of it so that you may be released, that you may be freed from all of that and enter into a brand new life. That's grace. That's the, that's the gospel it is through the crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection. It is through the event that he proves that he conquered everything that would dare take away your peace. That's grace. So peace comes through grace and grace through Jesus. And so now anyone and everyone who so believes in Jesus, who responds to the gospel, the good news of Christ, Something splendid happens. Something splendid. We receive the greatest blessing that anyone could ever hope to receive. And that is you go from at war against God to a loving relationship with God. Your sin is forgiven and now you can call him father and you're his child. And once you're at peace with God, now you can begin to live in the peace of God. Now, every day, all right, Father, what do you have for me today? Will you lead me? Yes, I will, my child. Every day we now get to live under his counsel, under his leadership, his guidance. Every day now we get to live under his wisdom and his love, under his provision, his protection, his promises. Every day. Folks, that's peace. I mean, what else there is there? That's abundant life. That's the blessed life. That's what it means to live in peace. I am now in the grace of God. That's peace. Ephesians 2.14 says that he, referring to Jesus, he is our peace. And this is so important for us to understand that peace is not so much just some kind of feeling or some subjective emotional state peace is a person peace is god himself is jesus christ you know earlier i said that peace is a gift from god well if peace is a gift from god and god is peace then that means that god is the gift god is the gift he is the gift, and he desires for us to enjoy peace so much that he gives himself to us. See, peace isn't something apart from God. It's not like he's going around sprinkling peace fairy dust on people. Like, have some, you need some peace? Here you go. Here's a little. No, that's not God. Like, God's like, I am peace, so I'm giving myself to you. I'm giving myself to you. That's profound. That's drastically different. That's peace. 
that the presence of God abides in my life and that I abide in him, that I experience his presence, that I can commune with him, that I speak with him and he listens and hears me and he speaks back and he leads me. Folks, that's peace. That's the atmosphere we're supposed to live in. That's our new habitat. So if you want to live in peace, believe in Jesus, trust in Christ, be faithful to him, follow him. If Jesus is peace and he's going some way and you want peace, you got to follow. You got to go with, not apart, but you got to be with. If he's peace, I got to be where he be. I want him to be here with me right now, today, every day. Peace. So you have to believe it comes by faith and every day placing your trust in him. Again, just God, give me your peace. So I read a story recently of this town, beautiful, quaint town up in the mountains. And it straddles this beautiful stream. Like the, the, the water of this, this river is so crystal and so pure. You can walk by it and you can see the underneath. You see the, the bottom, the sand and the rocks. And you see all the rainbow trout swimming through there. And there's geese on top swimming and playing and children splashing. And this stream is the, the life source of this town. The fishing industry and people... That's where they go to have fun, and and that's where they're just enjoying everything. And what happened was that the town council met one day, and like most towns, their budget came under a crunch. And they decided to reallocate some funds. Because it turns out that they had hired an individual that lived way upstream. He was the keeper of the stream. And his job was to keep debris from the river. Branches, twigs, leaves, trash. Anything that might pollute the stream, it was his job to make sure to get rid of it. And so that's why the water was so pristine, and it was beautiful and wonderful, and everyone loved it. It was the joy of the town. Well, because of the budget crunch, they fired the guy. And soon, very shortly, the water started becoming brackish, (coughs) muddied. Like, there's trash and pollution and all kinds of stuff. And, like, all of a sudden, the, the fish are gone and the geese are gone, and the kids don't want to play in it, and the joy of the town is gone. So the town reconvened, and they rehired the guy. So he went back to work. He started removing the twigs and the branches and the leaves and the debris and the pollution and the trash. And very soon, the stream returned to that former glory. The water's clear again. The trout are swimming, geese playing, kids splashing, the joy of the town returns. And my point in sharing that story is that our soul, your soul, is like a stream, and it has to be tended to. It has to be tended to. In this series, what this series is about, is about learning how to keep the stream, how to keep our soul, how to tend to our soul to begin to remove all the things from our life, the debris that pollutes so that our soul can be a place of hope and joy and peace. We have to learn how to tend our soul, which always means adopting and embracing a brand new life. It means making sure that we live in peace which simply means living in Christ. Want to live in peace? Live in Christ. That's a lifestyle. You want, to, you want peace? You got to pursue peace. Well, what does that mean? It means pursuing Christ. That's a lifestyle. It means basking in the riches of God's grace. What's that? It's a lifestyle. So I ask, do you want the peace that God offers? Do you desire it? Do you want it? Well, now, folks, we got to get in the surf. we got to get ourselves in that position where the wave can pick us up and grab us and carry us wherever it needs to. This is what we're going to be doing for the next seven weeks. And by God's grace, we will 
come out of this one step closer to abiding in the peace that God offers to each and every one of us. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes and just to sit there and to meditate, think about what it is that you just heard. And I'm going to ask just a couple of questions to help lead you through this time. First of all, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, just know that that's where peace begins. There is no peace without Christ. So if you're here and you've never trusted in the gospel and repented first and foremost and given your life to him, would you do so now? Just call out to him from the bottom of your heart. We're not going to ask you to come forward or anything like that. Just from the privacy of your own hearts. God, I have messed up. I've sinned. I've lived far from you. I want to draw to you and I want to know you and your peace. Or maybe you're here and, and you are a believer, but peace is fleeting and evasive. So will you commit today and the next several weeks and the rest of your life to putting yourself in that place where God's peace can pick you up? Seeking it, pursuing it, beginning to jettison some things from your life that are getting in the way. God may right now be pointing out some things to your mind. Hey, you know that thing you're doing? It's time to be done with that. Like, what is that? Will you confess that to God and repent of it? Lord, Father, you are good. You're gracious and kind. You do not desire that we would live desperate or hopeless. It is your heart, Lord, that we would live in the light. That we would breathe freshness into our lungs. That our heads would be lifted. Lord, you've done and given everything necessary for that to be true for all of us. You lovingly gave your son. And Jesus, you came down and in mercy you went to that cross and you took our sin upon you. Thank you. Your blood was shed, your body was broken, and you died our death. But Lord, you did not remain dead. You were raised on the third day, proving that you're conqueror over death and darkness, sin, guilt, and shame, all of it. Lord, you prove that you are conquer over anything that would dare, dare threaten our faith. Lord, I do pray that we would all just look to your son Jesus, who is our peace, for hope and restoration, for grace. What a Savior you have given to us who makes it possible that we would live in peace all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.